of Pentecost. And so our text this Sunday is a familiar one on this day. We'll be focusing on Acts chapter 2. But before we read about the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples, let us pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts through these words of Scripture. Holy God, you call us to your word. And we pray, renew our minds and revive our souls. Whether this is a passage that we have heard hundreds of times or one we are hearing for the very first time, may your spirit speak to us anew and stir within us a heart of faithfulness that we would know your call upon us. Bless us now. Amen. Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to be taking, I'm not going to read all of chapter 2. So if you saw that in the bulletin, don't get nervous. It's chapter 2 is kind of long. But um, I didn't know exactly how, when I had to print the bulletins, I didn't know exactly how I was going to split out these verses just yet. So I knew I was going to cover chapter 2, but we're going to do kind of chunks at a time, but hopefully get the, the kind of the idea of the whole of what's happening here. So I'm going to start with verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You know, when we talk about Pentecost, for us, this comes to mind. This event where the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples. And that's not wrong, but that's not really the whole story of what's going on here. It's significant to know that Pentecost was something that was already, at that time, a day of celebration for the Jews. When Luke says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, he wasn't necessarily talking when the day that the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples arrived. He was saying, No, when the day of Pentecost arrived. So he's talking about an annual holiday that the Jews had already been observing. So what was the day of Pentecost like for them? What did they celebrate? So the Jewish holiday of Pentecost, it also goes by a a number of other names. It goes by the Feast of Harvest, the Feast of Weeks, or Shavuot, which that's a Hebrew word for the word weeks. Um, And that's a a holiday that Jews continue to celebrate to this day. So this weekend, they're celebrating the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Harvest, Shavuot. Well, the word Pentecost, it's an English transliteration of a Greek word that means 50th. So penta at the beginning of that, like five, like pentagon and other things. Excuse me. I think that's better. Okay, I didn't want to cough right into the mic. So it means, it was a Greek word that meant 50th. And it gets that name because that holiday, the holiday of Pentecost, occurred 50 days after Passover. We kind of, I think, in our minds think, well, it's 50 days after Easter, things like that. For us, there's there's a similarity there. But for the, the Jewish faith, it occurs 50 days after the day of Passover. And the origins of Pentecost, or this Feast of Harvest, goes all the way back to the Old Testament Torah. And specifically, it's mentioned in Exodus 23. That's kind of when it's first mentioned. 
but it's also mentioned in Leviticus 23, Numbers 28, and Deuteronomy 16. It's, it's a, it was a significant day. It was one of three annual days of the year where Jewish men especially were called to go to Jerusalem to celebrate, uh, Passover being one of them, uh, this being the second day of the year that they were called to do this. And it's a day that coincided with the grain harvest, the wheat harvest. And so the purpose of that day, Shavuot, was for the people of Israel to express their thanks and praise to God for God's provision of the harvest. You know, they had just harvested their wheat and they're giving thanks to God. They're giving of their first fruits and they're renewing their commitment to the Lord. That was the purpose of kind of the Old Testament idea of Pentecost. Now, the timing of Pentecost, like I mentioned a little bit ago, was, was always tied to the Passover. And if you remember that what the Passover was, that's the celebration of God's deliverance of the Israelites from the Egyptians. You know, think the ten plagues in Egypt and the tenth plague being the one of the firstborn, that being the one connected specifically with the Passover. That's what that event was about. And so this connection between Pentecost and Passover continued to develop in the Jewish tradition. And it's not known exactly when these, these ideas kind of merged, but Pentecost also began to be associated with the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. So when Moses was on Mount Sinai, and that's because that event with Moses on Mount Sinai occurred about 50 days after the event of the Passover. So back to Acts chapter 2. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to bring this into context here. Something monumental occurs on this particular Pentecost day. This day that they had been celebrating for centuries. Something unique and special occurred on this Pentecost day. It marked not the giving of the law, but it now marks the giving of the Spirit of God upon the believers. So for Christians, Pentecost ushers in a, a new era, so to say, in God's great redemptive plan where now the people of God become the temple. The people of God, the church, becomes the body of Christ where the Holy Spirit resides. In the Old Testament, fire represented God's presence. Fire on the top of Mount Sinai. Fire as a, as a pillar. Fire as a burning bush. But now there's individual flames above the heads of each of the disciples. And that's sig significant because it symbolizes God's presence upon each disciple. There is a new order ushered in by the Spirit. And the Apostle Paul talks about this distinction between this old covenant of law and this new covenant of Spirit. And this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. He wrote, God has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit 
have even more glory. See, what Paul is doing there is he's reflecting on this account described at the end of Exodus chapter 34. After Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and he gets the the stone tablets of the law and he comes down. And after this event, Exodus 34 describes how Moses is, is like glowing. He's radiant. His face is radiant. It scares all the Israelites. They're like, what what happened up there? And so he has to put a veil over his face just to kind of interact with the people. And that's what Paul's referring to here. And he's comparing that experience of Moses receiving the law, Moses being in the presence of God and his face radiating with this new experience that believers are now ministers of a new covenant and that being of the Spirit. What Paul tries to get at in the section of his letter is that the old covenant of the law, that came with glory. I mean, that was an awesome moment, an awesome event. That came with glory. But how much more glorious is the ministry of the Spirit which now resides in each one of us? Because the law brought condemnation, but the Spirit brings life. And a few verses later in 2 Corinthians, Paul goes on to say, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Back to our text in Acts. The day was Pentecost. But it was designated, in a sense, to be the last Pentecost of the Old Covenant marked by the law. And it ushered in the first Pentecost of the New Covenant marked by the Spirit. On that day, the disciples were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the disciples essentially began to speak in other language, all sorts of other languages. And most people are amazed and then there's some that just thought they were drunk and just kind of babbling and you know what's going on there. And it's Peter that steps up. And I think this is significant too because remember kind of what we just observed about Peter when Jesus was going through his trial. This is the same Peter that denied Christ three times. The same Peter that kind of shrunk back into the shadows. It's this Peter that now stands up with boldness and confidence. And it says, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men and men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. I love that the Bible includes that little (laughs) note in there. But for time's sake, I'm going to skip over. He he goes into a a quote from the prophet Joel. I'm going to skip over that and pick up in verse 22. So this is still Peter speaking. He continues, men of Israel, hear these words. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus 
delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter stands now boldly before a large crowd saying, Men of Israel, hear these words. There's importance in those, those words. Hear these words. The message becomes the focus. You know, we can do a lot of wonderful acts of kindness and generosity. But we can't divorce that from the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel, the words of the gospel are important. I think for us, as Christians in, in general, we in some ways shrink back. We, we hide behind our niceness and our good deeds. Because yes, we, wanna, we want other people to see that we're kind and generous and respectable and loving people, and we should be. So don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we shouldn't be those things. We should be all of those things and pursue those qualities more and more because we show forth God's love in our actions, living by the example of Christ. But if that's all we do, we miss something. There's a quote that many people use, use and it's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. It's, um, it's preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. It's a great little quote. It's kind of catchy. But there's a problem. St. Francis never said it. <laughs> he says something vaguely similar with those words. But really his message in that quote is, if you're going to talk the talk, you need to walk the walk. St. Francis never, never divorced good deeds and how we live with proclaiming the good news. So I think he would more adequately say, preach the gospel at all times. And because it's necessary, use words whenever we can. Being nice can't be all that we do as Christians. We must proclaim a message of the gospel. Doing good deeds brings a lot of happiness to people supports a lot of needs, but deeds alone don't exactly lead others to holiness. And I'll be the first to admit, it's a lot scarier to proclaim the message of Jesus than it is to go even out of our way to help someone in need. It's, it's, it's really easy, you know, it might disrupt our day, but it's really easy, you know, to go and do something nice for someone. It's a lot scarier to take that next step and to share with them the message of the gospel. But that's Peter's example for us, his encouragement for us. Men of Israel, hear these words. I'm going to skip over again another quote where um, this time Peter quotes King David. But I'm going to pick up at verse 32 and read down to verse 41 now. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand 
until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, and there's that, that, that action of hearing the message, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. See, it wasn't just the act of being nice or generous that changed their hearts. It was in hearing the gospel. And it was in the work of the Spirit. Because the Spirit accompanies, it illuminates, and it promotes the word of God proclaimed. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. For the month of June, now that we're in a new month, Pentecost served us well, starting us off the first Sunday of the month. Uh, But for the rest of the month of June, we're going to look at the topic of being sent. Being sent by the Holy Spirit and what that means. And so what I want to really emphasize with the rest of our time today is that being sent starts with the Holy Spirit. It starts with the Holy Spirit. Underlying and motivating all the points that we're going to consider throughout this month under the topic of being sent. Underlying and motivating all that is the work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. Because if we divorce ourselves from the Holy Spirit, that doesn't bear the fruit that God desires. All the doctrine and the topics related to the Holy Spirit could could fill up an entire volume of books and a long sermon series, all of which I don't have time to do in the few minutes left this morning. So don't worry, we're not going to be here all day. But I think it's important to at least start with just a few points regarding the person of the Holy Spirit as we continue to look at the rest of this month with this idea of being sent. So I just, I picked out five points And uh, I was pretty proud of myself because they all start with the letter S. And it's not a good sermon until you get alliteration going in all your sermon points. So, um, I I also made these little sheets so you can follow along on the back if you want. Um, I also included other scripture references in those points. Uh, I'll read a few of them this morning. not going to read all of them. You can read those later. But the Holy Spirit first shows us the gospel. The Holy Spirit illuminates God's truth for us through the proclamation of the good news. Through scripture, through Bible study, through prayer. The Holy Spirit illuminates God's truth for us. It was Jesus who said to his disciples in John 14, And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. And a little later he continues, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The the Holy Spirit shows us the gospel, reveals to us God's truth. The Holy Spirit also seals us in God's promises. Ephesians chapter 1, 
in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, notice Paul there talks about that importance of hearing the word of truth. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says something similar. It says, it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in the hearts, in our hearts as a guarantee. We are bound to God's promises. We are sealed to God's promises by the work of the Holy Spirit, which should be a great source of comfort for us. Because even though our faith might waver, and it's hard for us to keep ourselves attached to God's promises, it's not dependent upon us. It relies on God's faithfulness. It's the work of the Spirit. The Spirit holds us and binds us to God's promises. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. It's a churchy word. But sanctification, when we talk about that in church, it's, it's a process of being more like Jesus. That's the easiest way I know to put it. It's a process of becoming more like Christ. It means that we grow in holiness. That we are refined by the Holy Spirit's fire. The Holy Spirit purifies us. And it points us to walking in paths of righteousness. Um, I listed a couple verses there. Uh, Romans 8 especially is a really great one, but it was kind of too long for me to read all here. So I just want to read Titus chapter 3, this few, these few verses here. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The Holy Spirit also strengthens us. Romans 8, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Ephesians 3, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. The Holy Spirit strengthens us. When we are weak, he is strong. And finally, the Holy Spirit sends us. And this is what we'll pick up on really the rest of this month. We, we have this sending in Jesus' uh, really final words in Matthew 28, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I really like what Jesus says in Acts, back in Acts, but in chapter 1, where it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The power of the Holy Spirit sends us. That is part of our mission, part of our calling. So as I mentioned, we're going to elaborate on um, those ideas more in the weeks to come. But it's important for us to know that God has claimed us as his children. And it's God who sends us to promote his work and to spread the message, the words of the gospel in the world. So let this Pentecost Sunday be a reminder of God's spirit 
which abides in each one of you. And to seek God's call upon your life. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach you, to sanctify you, to strengthen you, and to lead you to share the message of Christ in the world. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that we are not left on our own. How scary that would be. How intimidating that would be. How hopeless that would be. Lord, you have given us your Holy Spirit, your presence abiding within each and every one of us. Lord, you are present to show us the message of the gospel, to bind us, to seal us to your promises, to sanctify us, to strengthen us, and to send us forward. And so we pray that we do so in the power of your Spirit. Lord, we continue to pray for the family.